This is a Federal News Network podcast. With a government-wide budget of some $100 billion, information technology is always a top management and operational issue for federal agencies. For what to expect and what will be buzzworthy in 2023, Federal News Network's Jason Miller. Jason, looking ahead, what are the most important topics? Do you think, what are we going to see in the coming year? There are so many open books on federal technology front. What are you going to be looking at the most? There's so much going on. You're absolutely right, Tom, that we could pick any number of areas to go down. In fact, when I uh, reached out to a bunch of different former and current federal IT executives, including folks like Janet Vogel, the former HHS CIO, as well as Kelly Fletcher, the current State Department CIO, as well as Mike Hettinger, former House Oversight Reform Committee staff member, they all kind of gave me different pieces and parts of what would be kind of their buzzy words of the year. And in fact, Mike Hettinger was funny. He goes, do we really need new buzzwords? And my response, of course, is yes, of course we do, because buzzwords keep us going. Keeps the IT industry hopping. Exactly. So let me start with with the one that I got from Keith Jones, a former State Department CIO. He was also at DHS for a long time. And he goes, data, modernization, and delivery, which I think this is interesting because, Tom, this is not just data or modernization, but he also added the delivery piece, which gets back to the customer experience focus that we saw in 2022. And he goes, as programs kind of level out, customers will refocus their efforts to get back on this idea of how do we deliver better services internally and externally. I think a lot of agencies spent time reprogramming and rebaselining their their efforts of what does it mean, how does staffing look uh, you know, post-pandemic, and I think there's a lot of focus there. The other side of the coin as well is, and this is what Keith Jones said, is the accuracy and the speed of data. Can we get it accurate and can we deliver it quickly? Because that really helps drive decisions. And, and he actually pointed to robotics process automation as one of those things that, that really could help in those areas. Again, data, modernization, delivery. The other one buzzword I'll highlight that I thought was really interesting came from uh, Jonathan Album, the former USDA CIO now over at ServiceNow, and he coined the term total experience, so TX. So that combines CX, customer experience, with EX, employee experience, to say how can we incorporate all these things into service channels to create these great experiences, whether it's for the employee or the customer. Told you, Tom, this would be buzzwordy, so total experience. Yes, it sounds like I'd like to buy the world a Coke and make everybody happy. Exactly, exactly. And then, uh, you know, of course, folks brought up cybersecurity as the continued focus. And then somebody brought up, obviously, quantum computing resiliency, or as, as, as Janet Vogel said, continuity of operations. So just a few there that we'll be paying attention to, I'm sure. And you also spoke with federal CIO Claire Martirana. What are some of her top priorities in the year ahead? What I asked Claire specifically was beyond the broad areas of customer experience, IT modernization, cybersecurity, you know, normal things, what are what are those areas you're really looking at? And she actually pointed to three different similar paths but different initiatives that she highlighted. One was the accelerate the odds idea of IT modernization, improve customer experience. Well, what if you could have an agency-specific digital services blanket purchase agreement, a BPA, that agencies can access a repository of best-in-class contracting vehicles? So that's one thing that I think we're going to watch out for. She said, what if, from a workforce perspective, we had a modern position description library so you don't have to need to recreate position descriptions from scratch each time, right? Tom, if, if Interior wants to hire a contracting officer and Commerce wants to hire a contracting officer, why can't they just have one position description that they can pull from and then... If you need to kind of tweak it a little, that's fine, but at least you have a common baseline. And then finally, she said, what if we had a day where technologists who want to come into government didn't have the difficulty finding a job title that they would like to apply for? What if you could apply for and join federal service much easier? So that's uh, three areas they're trying to look at. Again, very workforce focused, which I thought that was interesting. And, and then finally, the other thing she, she talked about was 
buying down technical debt, improving security, modernizing legacy IT. Tom, we know that back in 2016, former federal CIO Tony Scott put a number on that technical debt at about $7 billion. I'm not, not, you know, we don't have a new number. I'm not sure it's even much better. It's probably much higher now. But I think that's another area that uh, the federal CIO's office is really going to focus on to enable better, faster, quicker, and more effective digital transformation. And with all of this digital effort comes federal oversight, congressional oversight, I should say. Now the House has changed to Republican control. Interesting, Jerry Connolly did not make the uh, top of the Democratic side of oversight. That's going to be Jamie Raskin, of all people. But with the House in the Republican hands, is that going to change the nature or quality of oversight? When I I talk to the experts, and this includes, for instance, Julie Dunn, the former Federal Acquisition Service Commissioner at GSA, former House Oversight and Reform Committee staff member as well, she says absolutely more oversight. And she thinks more oversight from both the House and the Senate side, not just because the House is turning over to Republican control, but because I think both uh, parties see that there are things they can drive and and really try to improve the management of IT acquisition and operations and get it off or even at least improve it according to the GAO high risk list because this is a, a big issue. She also pointed to oversight over the Technology Modernization Fund, how it's being managed, where and when funds are being repaid, and whether the TMF is actually targeting modernizing legacy IT. And then I I think she also pointed to changes to the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, where you have, for instance, uh, Rob Portman leaving and Rand Paul taking over as ranking member, and obviously Jim Langford, the Republican from Oklahoma, continuing to look at federal fumbles. Uh, Julie Dunn believes there are going to be a lot more focus from them on FITARA and and FISMA updates and and the like. Tom, I'll just highlight one other thing that that folks also told me, and and there's an emergence of the Select Committee on China. And while this has broad focus of all things related to competition from China, Mike Hettinger pointed to this as another one where there's a lot of folks, uh, the incoming chairman of that committee is Mike Gallagher, who has a strong cyber background. So uh, Hettinger believes that cyber will be on on top of, of their agenda as well. And so I think there's a lot going on around the implementation of laws and obviously new oversight. And I think we're going to miss the expertise of Representative Jim Langevin, who is leaving after this has left. The 117th Congress was his last. He really knew cybersecurity. That's right, Tom. Jim Langevin leaving is obviously a big loss. He's someone who's really focused on cyber for much of his 14 years or more in Congress. In fact, they actually just named his replacement on the Congressional Cyber Caucus. Congresswoman Lisa Slotkin will replace him. And Slotkin's interesting because she talks about how cybersecurity is no longer this abstract technical issue. It's really something that all Americans really can get their head around, whether it's you know kids in school or local governments who have been uh, impacted by ransomware or other uh, attacks. So I think that she brings a, a really interesting perspective that maybe, you know, Langevin, who is in the, more in the weeds, she'll bring up maybe a broader perspective to, to address some of the big challenges around cybersecurity. And Jason, before we let you go, what are some of the other topics, initiatives in the IT sector you think people should pay attention to in 2023? Well, Tom, we know we can't get away out of this without talking about cybersecurity. We know that's coming. But let me put a little bit of a, a, a twist on this. I'll say cybersecurity and as it relates to federal acquisition requirements. Again, going back to Julie Dunn, who I spoke with, she obviously is paying attention, like a lot of businesses are, around the cybersecurity maturity model certification, the CMM proposed rule that's coming from DOD, hopefully in March timeframe. So I think that's going to be one thing. Another one is uh, the cyber executive order directed the Federal Acquisition Regulations Council to develop contractor rules to address cybersecurity challenges. Those FAR rules are still pending, something else to watch for. And then, you know, when I spoke with Janet Vogel, again, former HHS CIO, she actually pointed to a National Institutes of Health program called 
all of us, which is uh, using data to provide insight and answers to how to treat diseases and illnesses. She's like, that's really going to push out our understanding of data relationships that could be both affirming and surprising. I thought that was a really interesting one. And then finally, Tom, several folks highlighted the monitoring and the use of the TMF and how the Technology Modernization Fund will continue to evolve and what OMB will do with it and how Congress will apply oversight. And then, Tom, I can't get by, again, going back to cybersecurity, but, you know, Congress passed the FedRAMP legislation in the NDAA this past uh, December, and I think that also will be a hot topic that folks will be looking at implementation and what we'll do the, to that program. There's a lot of concerns both internally in the government and externally among contractors about how quickly they can get cloud services approved through the Joint Authorization Board or otherwise, and then how they're going to update FedRAMP with updates to NIST 853. I think they're up to Rev 5 now. And then, of course, as you throw in there Zero Trust and CMMC and a whole bunch of other topics I think people are really going to pay close attention to. All right. Plenty on your beat, and we know you'll be on top of it in the coming year. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. My pleasure, Tom. Check out all of his coverage at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I uh, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are are really, um, you know, we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, 
you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, turn them over to the state or or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of special Olympics that I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. uh, We get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Triver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I'd mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly 
revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences. And that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.